Radio, the most interesting podcast in your face, particularly this week. Thanks for joining us. This is Brian Conger, the host of Wildcat Radio. You can follow us on Twitter at Wildcat Radio AZ and on Facebook at Wildcat Radio AZ. And we are live. We are coming to you live from the Vivid Seat Studio, where you can use the promo code Overtime. Get $100 off of your first tickets for new time users on their app. Do it. Do it. Get paid. Get paid. Go to an Arizona game. You can probably buy like 10 tickets right now. I'm joined as always by the president, the CEO, the founder, the wizard, the grand Pumbaa of the, hopefully that's not an ethnic slur. I don't think it is of the, of the beta rank advanced college football statistical model. What's going on, Rob? I'm, I'm up late and cranky, which is sort of like a theme for Arizona football. Yeah. Good times. Good times. That's right. We're going to start positive. We're going to start positive. There's too much negativity <laughs> in the world, everyone. We're going to start positive. Um, and to do that, we're also joined by Mr. Rick DeNice. What's going on, Rick? Guys, we can be as positive as we want, but that was so on brand for Arizona football last night. <laughs> it really was. It was like, I, up to, up to the last, the three penalties for the the field goal kick and the getting tackled at the one yard line by a defensive tackle, like it, just everything, the, all the stars aligned and they came into place. And we're going to break it down for you. We're going to talk about it. Um, and but before we do, you should check out a few things. The first thing is our website, sharpcollegefootball.com, where all of Rob's advanced statistics are on there, and they're excellent. We have breakdowns of games, we have storylines, we have like basically anything you want from an advanced statistical model perspective. They're on there, including our contest, which is our Pac-12 survivor pool. Fortunately, Arizona fans, week zero did not count, so you are still allowed to enter up until Thursday. Here's what you do. You basically, all you do is pick one Pac-12 team each week to win. Don't worry about the spread. They just have to win. If they win, you survive. If they lose, you're out, and you can only pick each team once in the year, so you have to be strategic about who you're taking. It's very fun. If you um, go on to sharpcollegefootball.com, click on the link, send us your picks. Um, The only ways that we're taking picks this year are you can, you have to go the website to do it or you can send them to our other twitter account at 12 pack radio at one two pac radio i think that's everything out of the way and bo boy howdy boy howdy week zero um rob if there's one thing that we we can say about this game it was that it was interesting <laughs> it was interesting <laughs> i mean um there's there's a lot of anomalies in this game right like Khalil tate ran the ball and he ran it well um you know and put up some explosive plays you know with his feet so that's a plus and you really i think uh felt that coming into this game that if if tate was you know able to run the ball arizona would be you know dangerous perhaps even you know unbeatable at least against hawaii um they had six turnovers and you know they they and they were plus four on turnovers because Arizona only you know turned the ball over twice and they they managed to lose the game so just a a, a weird wild game all around. It was interesting on our other podcast Twelve Pack Radio we were talking about how there was a busing problem so like both mentally and figuratively. This team did not get off the bus for the beginning of that game. Like it just was a mess. Rick, if you're if we're gonna say something positive, because because we are, it's the power of positivity. The, what 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 at least can you say where you're like, okay, all right, th- this thing happened, and I feel I feel okay about it. Here here's what I got. 
um, and I was thinking long and hard about this, was when you look at the distribution um, from a throwing standpoint, uh, we had what, one, two, three, four, five, basically five receivers in the mix with three, three or more catches. Um, and no one had more than four. Um, and then you look at kind of the touchdown distribution as well. You know, you got three on the board from the wide receiver core. Um, and you really saw, I think, Brian Castile not nearly the as big an impact as you thought he might within this offense, but you did see Stanley Berryhill kind of hold true to what we thought we were going to get this year from him. And then Jamari Joyner was a nice surprise. He had a couple um, early bobbles uh, that you sat there and said, whoa, Nelly, when uh, he was trying to, you know, haul those in. But I mean, he had four catches for 72 yards and a touchdown um, average 18 uh, Stanley Berryhill had uh, three receptions for 92 yards with an average of 30.7. So you like the amount of distribution compared to years past um, from that wide receiver core. We had a tight end touchdown. I, we had a tight yeah, end true. freaking touchdown. It was a Tim Tebow tight end touchdown, but doesn't matter. doesn't matter. It actually happened. I was pretty excited about that, Rob. Yeah, and uh, I think that, you know, the what Rick hit on about the young wide receiver core, they weren't they weren't always great in the game, but they they were good and they they showed some flashes. I was really excited about Michael Wiley, um, yep. who yep. came yep. in the game and uh, and caught a you know caught a couple of passes for fifty yards, um, and you know really I mean took the spot that I think we were expecting Gary Brightwell to fill in that you know in that uh, twenty personnel. But yeah, there was some there was definitely bright spots in the game. Um, the kicker, I mean, like yeah. Stone yeah. Cold man, <laughs> Stone Cold. I was. I was telling you guys that we were talking about that early. I always bring up the special teams. <laughs> Let's talk about special teams for a moment. When, <laughs> when we have like literally Jerry Springer is our coach and he's just, he's just pumping fists and getting everybody excited, man. That's all you need to do is be positive and you're going to be good. Uh, it turns out that is not the case. And uh, special teams, once again, outside of, like you mentioned, that was, that was a hell of a kick, man. And if that was me and I had to hit three and like two in a row and then they pushed me back to basically the 48 yard line or whatever it was, like that was, that guy's got balls, man. Like shouts to him. That was great. Uh, but oh man, I think special teams has a lot to, uh, we, we should, we can cover that as well. Um, like you mentioned, Rob, like, uh, I, Michael Wiley, I thought had a solid game, um, on defense, like, right. Didn't Jace Whitaker, he had two, two interceptions. I thought he had a decent game. Um, one of the, I think it was Christian Young had two forced fumbles. Uh, obviously, you have somebody like Colin Schooler who was out there making plays all over the field. Yet again, our top tackler. Um, he was one of the few players that had a tackle for a loss. I'll have to go back and double check that, and I will um, in just a second. But uh, and, and we put up points. I think that's the other thing. Yes, there was a lot of turnovers, but you know, there, there's been a lot of. It's interesting on Twitter. You have a lot of people going after Yates, and rightly so. And we've been doing that for two years on this podcast. But there's been this like vein of, yeah, but don't forget about Noel Mazzoni and Rob. Well, well I, I think there's there's a difference of opinion on this podcast between you and Rick. So but like, Rob, I didn't think the play calling was a complete and utter disaster. Um, I think he is still limited by the fact that <laughs> that Kill Tate can't pass the ball very well. Uh, he I think he threw for 56 percent yet again in this game. There was a number of drop balls. He missed a couple wheel routes. Um, he missed a couple reads too. So you got to keep that in mind that there are times where he took off where there were open players, but what did you think about Noel Mazzoni and the offensive play calling? I mean, the, if there's a big complaint and I don't, I mean, I don't think that it, 
my my feelings of Mazzoni is he's not the guy I would have hired, but he's not as bad as people sort of. He's not the boogeyman that sort of Yates is uh, <laughs> um, there. But I I would say I mean it was it was it was fine. You know I mean like it wasn't great. They they put up points. I mean they they managed to put up thirty eight points, which is, is is good. They didn't have great field position in the game because even though I think that a lot of people are running around saying like the defense gave them six turnovers. Only on one of those turnovers did they end up with the ball on Hawaii's side of the field, and that was on the Hawaii 49. Um, so they mostly had, you know, long field to work against. Um, the defense wasn't doing doing them any favors. I was a, and I think a lot of it was just purely, purely execution, and and that comes back on the you know the coaching staff too. Um, but I was I was. I was, I think I was a little surprised that they didn't commit to run the football more, but I would also say that, man, when they did run the football, I was a little worried about the offensive line because it seemed like when Taylor, it did seem to me that when Taylor um, was given the ball to run, that he was, he ran hard, uh, but that he was getting contact early, that the offensive line was not getting good push off the ball. Um, so if that's the case and, and Mazzoni notices it, then I, I, I get it. Like, you know, if it's, if it's, if it doesn't look like it's working, I understand going away from it. It is tough because last year Arizona's identity was very much running the football. Um, yeah. I don't I mean, like the, you could see flashes where the offense could really work. If Tate hits that wheel route to Wiley, I mean, my God, um, you know, but there were there were things that it really again didn't. I mean, I went I went back through and looked at it um, on every drive that Arizona put up points. They did not start out with Khalil Tate on the first play throwing an incomplete pass, um, and, and and Tate's completion percentage on those possessions was was seventy six percent. If you looked at the drives where they did not put up points on half of them. They started out with an incomplete, you know, incomplete pass, um, and he only completed thirty, you know, thirty-five, almost thirty-six percent of his passes on those drives. It was, I mean, they they really, I mean, Tate feels like a rhythm passer, and I think Mazzoni maybe needs to to, to work on that um, a little bit. And it, it was weird because they were really working out of twenty personnel. I think it sort of forced with uh, twenty personnel is two running backs, no tight end. It forced boo, by the to, way, boo. To, no, but it, it forced Tate to look. Um, in the flats and the intermediate and it, and it worked. Um, cause I, st- I still think when you look at Tate, he, he went down the field a lot. Um, that's going to be available against a defense like Hawaii. That is not going to be available against a lot of other defenses. He needs to get, he needs to get his eyes down uh, a bit. That's interesting. One of the things that has stood out for me in terms of like knee jerk reaction from Arizona fans was why didn't we run the ball more? Why didn't we run the ball more? And, Rick, I tend to subscribe to the fact that, like, I watched, I watched that whole game. The first half, like, our offensive line got stuffed. Like, they were manhandled by a not very good, which is very worrisome in the future, a not very good front seven at Hawaii. Now, granted, they did return a number of starters, but that production from those starters was quite low last year. That was not a good front seven. 
and particularly in the beginning of the game, like we got gashed over and over and over again. I went like, oh my gosh, we can't run the ball against Hawaii. That changed in the second half, and you saw that, Rick, as we were going. Uh, it was the the drive where Tate threw the interception in the red zone. That, but that that Hawaii defense was gassed, and we should have been running the ball, and we were. And you and you saw the difference. But that front seven in the second half was not the same uh, front seven that we saw in the first half. That just really, I thought, dominated Arizona's front line. But what, what did you think about the play calling? What did you think about us running the ball or not running the ball? I'm curious where, where your head's at. Yeah, I think it's I think it's curious when you start talking about, um, you know, the fact that the media generally wasn't allowed to be involved with a lot of the practices during the fall, because I mean, as you guys heard, like, or, or at least everything that I read was all roses as it pertained to the offensive line. Um, and you know what this offense was going to look like and how far ahead of schedule they might be and, and the depth. And when you look at the line, I mean, what was really, I guess, disheartening from my end is, um, the ability for Hawaii to actually disengage off of blocks, um, especially with that front seven. Um, and, and the fact that our, you know, most of our lines seem to just kind of drop off the face of the earth when it came to, um, you know, continue to move your feet, continue to stay engaged with your, your man and really drive him out of that hole. And you saw those guys time. Um, you know, be, be able to kind of beat us that way. And, and they weren't even stunting that much. I mean, they weren't doing anything that was, um, you know, too out of the ordinary or too spectacular. Um, it was really just hard nose line them up football. And, and um, we really had a lot of problems with that. So it's going to be interesting to see how they adjust to that. Um, Cause I do think we have a good offensive line coach that can, can really, um, you know, support those guys now that they've got some film to work with, but um, we'll have to kind of see on that front. Um, Regarding the play calling, I think it, it it's really curious to me that um, you know you you saw the first series especially when they came out and threw three straight times. It's almost like Noel Mazzoni is trying to get uh, Khalil Tate in a rhythm and get him you know moving the ball on some intermediate routes to just kind of you know keep it moving. And and you know a lot of times this last year and and you know obviously the game last night, I feel like the offense is very discombobulated and the play calling just doesn't help support, um, you know, what they're trying to do in a lot of cases. And for me, you know, especially with this team and, and this, the, the stable of running backs you have, even though we weren't getting much of a push, I mean, you got to pound the rock as many times as you can to try and open that up and give Khalil Tate a little bit of a, um, you know, I guess, a um, you know, a flotation device for him to be able to move that passing game forward. And I, I felt like, you know, by them starting out, uh, you know, with, with, I think it was five or six straight passes it was it was uh, almost setting him up for failure right off the bat and you could really tell that that was an issue with the offense so I mean I, I my line of thinking is right there along with you guys I, I think that there is a, a huge amount of improvement that I think can take place in two weeks but um, again it, it all starts with the line in that that running game and if that thing isn't clicking um, you know it could be a real long year for us too do you agree Rob yeah I mean I I don't I mean I guess I'm a little I, I would like to see them maybe realize sort of what they have a little more in Tate. Cause I, I think Mazzoni, maybe he does have a reputation as being a little stubborn, but his offense is just, it can be a little complex. Um, and I think Tate last year, maybe didn't put in the work on it. Everyone, you know, coming into this season was saying, you know, he's, he's, he was going to do the work. Um, but Tate, Tate likes to throw deep, you know, and, and Mazzoni likes, Mazzoni likes to test the defense deep early too. And, um, the, the, the danger is, though, is I, I feel like uh, Tate is more of a rhythm quarterback 
that I think people realize. And if he's if he does get out of rhythm early on, like he he can pile up in completions on a drive and you're off the field. Um, so I, I think it is important for them to try to get him um, to try to put him in a position where his first pass is, you know, a dig route or something like that. Something that is an easy completion that he can then work off of, you know, like, cause I, I do, I do think that that would, would help the offense significantly, but I don't, I mean, Mazzone, I mean, if the guys aren't run blocking, like you're, you got to go somewhere else, you know, like there's that, that, that's just the case. I mean, you could, you could say you're going to come back to it and, and, and they did once they had him gassed, but, you know, that's that's something I think you look at and you're like, well, that's just not going to work today. So what are we going to what are we going to go to next? And it, it mostly worked. I mean, the I mean, Arizona, I mean, the real problem, the whole game was the offense was playing from behind and knew it. I mean, there you you felt a sense of and Arizona fans should be familiar with this because the defense has been bad for years. But you just feel a sense of tremendous urgency every time the offense touches the ball in some games, mm. you you know, they have to score to keep up with the opposition. And that that's what it felt like in this game. Oh, absolutely. You know, to wrap up the stats here. So Tate was 361 yards on the ground or I'm sorry, through the air, three touchdowns, two picks, including that just brutal backbreaking one oh. uh, at the end of the game. Holy goodness. And it, when you talk about we should run the ball more, that was where they should have run the ball there was we Arizona scores if they run the ball and they continue to run the ball on that drive and just a bad bad pick doesn't read the safety um and just a bone crushing backbreaking uh interception uh for Hawaii on the ground you had uh Tate on the ground he ran for 108 yards the one thing I want to say about him rushing though I wasn't as impressed with his wheels this game yes he had 108 yards but about 35 to 40 of those I'd say like 35 of those were that last run at the very end when Hawaii was kind of you know giving up a decent amount of field uh, in order to stop that touchdown from being scored so yeah he did run and that was great we had said more than 10 carries would be great that happened he had 13 but just wasn't aggressive and I understand you can't be super aggressive if your quarterback you don't want him lower that was our big (laughs) knock on him two years ago is lowering his shoulder like oh my gosh young man please like please stay alive um but just i don't know i i i wasn't as impressed with him on the ground as i would have anticipated going into this game rick brian i thought and i thought they did a good job at scheming um for for uh, for him and if you saw they they had um a few times where they took the spy uh on and and sometimes it was uh the mic sometimes it was the weak side but they'd take a look and and um you know basically name that spy and then there were times when they kind of just played played it zone um and and you know allowed obviously him to throw the ball if he wanted to but they weren't going to sit there and let him run all over them and and i think i thought for Khalil, I thought he had some really, really poor reads, especially early on in that game where, you know, you saw him dive out of bounds or you saw him, um, you know, basically, you know, slip or take a knee um, like he was on ice, as you alluded to. And and I think that that in those times, I I find it difficult to understand why he doesn't throw the ball away. And then I also put the blame on, on a young receiver core that's not coming back for him to go help him out to see if they can't get that chunk yardage because um, it just seemed like, you know, in a lot of cases there wasn't anybody open so um, I think there were a couple different dynamics at play there yeah last thing on the offense before we get to the defense was this wide receiving core right so the top pass catcher Stanley Berryhill Jamari Joyner Tavian Cunningham who was like a two-star commit coming out of I think he was a Juco kid Um, and and the players that you really wanted to hear from right Booby Curry uh, uh, Dixon Brian Castile 
you know, Brian Castile had three catches for 31 yards. So, you know, I don't want to like completely throw that away, but um, this secondary was not great from Hawaii and some of the bigger names that you would have liked to have seen catch the ball uh, were not present here in this offense. So uh, I just want to put, I want to flag that for future games. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that there is a better integration of, of some wide receivers that can be those down the field threats. Um, but certainly didn't see that at the level that I had hoped for uh, moving into Hawaii, Rob, because this defense was not good. Yeah. I mean, the, it is tough because the, the, the offense had a decent day against a very bad, you know, you know, a very bad defense um, in their first outing of the season with a basically totally new wide receiver core and an offensive line where only one player is playing the same position they played last season. So there, you know, you can expect some hiccups maybe from the offense, but you're right. I mean, like other than join, I mean, I thought Joyner was terrific actually. And I thought when you see Joyner's size and speed and athleticism and where they have him playing in the slot, like yeah, you can fun. see how <laughs> it's smart. Like you're, you're like, oh, wow, like that's like you guys are actually playing a little chess here. Like that is a tough matchup for most every team that they're going to face to find someone that can come in on the slot um, and cover Joiner. So good. I mean, he 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 had some he had some, you know, some some struggles, but um, I was I was impressed. And I thought, I mean, really, like there there's some guys here that you're and you pointed out like we we didn't hear from Booby Curry. You we're gonna. I still feel like we're gonna hear from him this season. Like he's just got too much talent. You know, he's gonna he's gonna make it on the field. If you combine that with what we saw out of Michael Wiley and Joiner, you know, and and Dixon eventually in here, like you feel pretty good, right? Like because Castile and Joiner were were trading were trading reps that slot spot, right? Like between the two of them, they had seven catches for a hundred yards. Like that's pretty good for inexperienced receivers, but they're both of them have the, the, you know, the kind of size and athleticism you like. So there's, there's some good here. I, I, I feel, I mean, I, you just hope to see continued improvement and growth. Uh, Cause I think there are some young players to get excited about here. All right. Let's open up the burn book, but let's do that right after this. All right. We're back talking, you know, we're just talking. We're just, we're just three dudes talking about a football game that happened. <laughs> um, we Let's talk about this defense here. Arizona obviously gives up 45 points despite six turnovers. And from the moment this game started, basically, I mean, like, I give it a few minutes into the game, but... Um, Man, it, it's the same old, same old from this this defense, this defensive coordinator. There are no excuses uh, for on a number of fronts. Uh, first of all, the secondary. This is a team that returns basically its entire secondary. You get Jace Whitaker back, and you still just get torched, torched. I mean, <laughs> Bird, 224 yards, <laughs> four freaking touchdowns, this guy. Um, and, and just he was all over the place, Cedric Bird. And in, not, not a giant guy, 5'9", 175. And Rob, shame on us. Shame on us for picking Arizona um, and trusting Marcel Yates to stop any offense that's slinging the ball around the field. Yeah, this was an embarrassing uh, defensive performance from Arizona. I mean, a, a truly, truly embarrassing performance. I don't. You can take those six turnovers. Um, those, all of those, um, didn't help out Arizona's offense nearly one bit. Um, they were those. Those mostly kept Hawaii from scoring seventy points. Um, because Hawaii put enough yards up on Arizona and was driving the length of the field repeatedly to put up seventy points on a Pac-12 defense. So just, uh, 
really hideous game. I think the I think in the first half, if you you I, I had tweeted out like I've seen this movie before, mostly against Washington State with Marcel Yates. <clears throat> you know, he he was rushing three uh, a lot in the first half, um, and it wasn't working. And they were doing the this stunt about every you know third or fourth play. And it took forever to develop. I mean, the nose tackle, by the time he turned to start actually like chugging at the quarterback, McDonald was had already hit his rhythm. He was back, you know, had planted his back foot off of his drop and, and was throwing like and, and the nose tackle was just turn. I mean, it was, te- oh, it was terrible. Um, and, the, the, and the coverage wasn't there. You know, like there, there are some young I mean, we talked about a little bit that, you know, some younger guys were going to have to see the field. Um, you know, in this game, Christian Rodriguez uh, did. He got torched. <laughs> now, he did. That was I mean, one, he did. One, it was one play where he got torched, but I was like, ah, yeah, yeah there it is. But I mean, Christian. I mean, the Roland Wallace and Bobby Wolf had to, they had to see some. They had to see the field. You know, Lorenzo yeah. Burns went down hurt in the second half. Hawaii runs a four wide out set. You know, like they're they're you know Arizona's depth was going to get tested in this game, but. Man, like I mean, just missed assignments. I mean, the run and shoot—you don't have to have big receivers. Like they're they're all option routes, and they're just designed for the quarterback and the receiver to make the same read about what the defense is doing, and just the receiver is going to sit and find an open spot in uh, in what the defense is doing. And man, Hawaii's receivers found it. Um, but the main thing—I mean, if you're—I mean, this team gave up like forty some sacks last season. Like Arizona. Yeah. I mean, that last sack that Arizona got wasn't a real sack. I mean, the guy was holding on to the football to keep the clock running. I mean, it was a it was a horrendous performance by Arizona's front seven, Um, because not only did they not get to the quarterback, they gave up one hundred and fifty nine yards running the football. (laughs) It's a why it's so bad. Rick, um, you want to pile on here? What stood out for you most when it comes to uh, just the defensive play calling (laughs) and just the performance on the field from our defense? Here's the thing, guys. For me, it's it's about how we call the game. And what I mean by that is, you know, I rather have us man to man press coverage and have a safe, have safety help over the top, ideally, and have us really be aggressive um, instead of death by a thousand paper cuts, which is that. Mm. Sorry. Can we redo? <laughs> no, no. Just keep, just keep going. I'll keep going. <laughs> You're rolling, man. And, instead of instead of that, that horrible soft zone that uh, usually accompanies a three man run front guys here's the thing is we're talking about a group of five team that has a decent quarterback obviously a couple decent receivers and you think schematically we could figure out how to stop that and I just don't understand how you can allow a team. And it was interesting because, um, the, um, you know, Rick Neuheisel was absolutely killing, um, the defensive coach. He was on fire. He was in fuego, man. (laughs) But they were, but they were totally right. I mean, in that run and shoot offense, like Hawaii wants to stay ahead of the chains and ahead of, of, of where they need to be at for first down. So picking up three or four yards at least, and that's where they were the whole night. And you know what, honestly, and not to regress, 
back to offense. But honestly, that is what Arizona needs to be as well. But Hawaii was able to get ahead of, of that down and, and really move the ball and then go and pick up a chunk on second down. And it happened over and over and over again. And, you know, again, I, I think that the interesting thing to take a look at is, you know, now, um, Marcel Yates has moved back to coaching the safeties and the safeties had a, you know, a horrible game to say the least. So, you know, are, is it a Marcel Yates, um, personnel problem? Is it a, is it a, you know, a grouping problem? I don't, I don't know. I know the play calling is bad, but honestly, I think that's where I am just dumbfounded with how this can continue to progress. And I was for Yates. I mean, you guys heard me last year. I was sitting there going, Hey, let's see, you know, what happened happens when, you know, the, the rains come off now that rich rod is in there. And, you know, honestly, I think that ship has sailed, um, and it sailed halfway through last year. And, and, uh, you know, the other thing I will say too, that was a really, really big disappointment before we move on is the defensive ends. And when you look yeah. at yeah. how the tackles handled our ends, when we should have been, you know, everything coming out of camp was we're going to be faster, more physical. Um, you know, we've added, they've added some, some, some good pieces there. I saw nothing of that and that was really disappointing no and they didn't get a push basically the entire game it was really really infuriating not to see us in the backfield like we should be stronger this should be a more physical team um and and i understand the tackles right you have two juco guys they're trying to figure it out but the ends and i I know that they're all connected but still i think the point still remains that you want to see our ends be able to get to the quarterback and i was just so disappointed on that front you know one thing and rob i'll throw it back to you but separately but I still think it's important to to mention if this coaching staff had been open in any way at all about this team and their progression, this isn't, this doesn't become as big of a deal, right? I think everybody was just shocked by how unprepared this team was for Hawaii. And if there was some rumblings out of camp, but there was some like, I mean, this sounds silly, but like, imagine if, if there was a Herm Edwards policy of just saying like, Hey, here's where we are. Like, you know, we're, we're still trying to put it together and like setting expectations. But I think everybody was just like backslapped by this game because, um, there's just such a, um, there's such an effort by this coaching staff to keep everything secretive in freaking Tucson. This is football in Tucson. <laughs> like it's fine if we're not great, but, but I, I do think that they were harmed in the long run from not being open and honest about where the program is. You don't have to come out and say, oh, look, we suck at this. We're not great at this. But, um, I just, that, that, that I just felt that throughout the entire game going like, oh, yep. I mean, it would have been nice to know this, I guess, before we were. <laughs> before we were watching it, but I don't know. I don't know. What do you think, Robin? Like, and let's talk about Yates's future here. What, what is, what's going to happen here? Um, is it possible? Can you make a change that quickly? Is it over the top to ask for a change after the first game? There is a lot of time left. This was a quirky offense, um, in Hawaii, but man, we just looked terrible. I mean, this kind of thing. So let's, let's say you were at a football school. Right. Like this kind of thing gets your defensive coordinator fired midseason, like immediately afterwards, they'd be relieved. I mean, and, and Yates, I mean, Yates had no, I mean, I, I was on the record. Yates had no business being retained. Um, you know, I, I think he was popular with a lot of fans and the players and, you know, they kept him on for continuity and he, he'd worked with someone before, but um, I just, I mean, like what, what you saw, what you saw last night was the same stuff. I mean, it was the same stuff he always does. I mean, he, you know, when he, when he's, 
when he has the opportunity to choose between sending pressure and putting pressure on the quarterback or getting cute with coverage scheme, he gets cute with coverage scheme. Um, and I, it, I mean, they had six turnovers, you know, kudos, like, but Hawaii still completed 71% of their passes and ran for 159 yards on you. I mean, Hawaii, um, you know, like your all your turnovers came to naught because you were so bad everywhere else. Like, yeah, Cole McDonald missed the, you know, missed where the safety was, missed where the cornerback was in your coverage game quite a bit. But it didn't matter because you gave I mean, every time Hawaii got the ball, you thought they were gonna score. Like you they moved the ball with ease. You thought they were gonna score. Um I just I Yates and what we saw from Hawaii yesterday, I mean he had all year. He had all offseason to plan yeah. for this. Like, we, this is – and Hawaii didn't do anything different or weird. This is straight run and shoot. <laughs> like, they – people are – I mean, like, oh, my gosh. Like, the run and shoot is like – I mean, they're not – Hawaii is not like, you know – they didn't come out with, like, the wishbone or something you've never seen before. Like, the run and shoot is – you've seen you've seen it. You understand it. Um, I just – it was embarrassing. I mean, it was embarrassing. You know, to to see and and you just kind of feel like I mean, and this is maybe a question for Dave Hickey about budget. But I mean, does Arizona really care enough about football to like feel the competent team? Because because his buyout was what, 250K or 500K over two years. It wasn't. Now, do I have that money? No, I don't. Um, But but you also like if I'm a booster at Arizona and. I had to pay Rich Rod's $6 million buyout for this triangle of secrecy trash. Um, and, and then I had to pay the legal fees for the Arizona basketball program, which are quite high, I would assume. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I had to put and up build all, an indoor practice facility, you know, yeah. and, and, and they're like, well, we, you know, I'm just like, go, go, go freaking screw off, man. Like I'm not, I, I, I could feed, I could feed a homeless shelter. Like there's a lot of other things I can do with this money <laughs> rather than oh. uh, buy out your crappy defensive coordinator. So I understand maybe why he can't get, but like, good. But you good owe business. it to the players. Like, yeah. how do you tell the players? Like we care, we're here to compete. It's important that you do your best. And if you don't do your best, you're going to lose the job to the guy behind you. How do you look him in the eye and keep running out Marcel Yates? Yeah. I, I just don't know. believe it. Like he's, he's not good at his job, but he's proved it. This is year four, right? Like I give, you know, like I'm, I'm a little, like, I, I don't want, like, I think someone inherited a deeply flawed, not power five roster from Rich Rod that Khalil Tate's legs covered up for in 2017. And I think he deserves four years to try to rebuild the roster and give it a shot. Right. Like, and, I don't think he's going to get there if he keeps Yates. I don't think anyone believes he will, right? And it's it's undermining the fan base's belief in him to keep running Yates out there. One game, though. Ooh, buddy. Like, maybe you let him do NAU, but, like, I, that's the problem. It's like it's a Clay Helton problem, Rick, right? Like, Clay Helton is going to be Clay Helton. And, yes, he'll go out and win some games against Colorado and maybe Cal in Arizona, but at the end of the day, is Clay Helton going to bring USC to the level that its fan base wants, that its players have been promised? And the answer is no. Is Marcel Yates going to get Arizona's defense to a level that is respectable? Um, after four years, the answer seems to be no. So um, why not? Why not pull the pull the plug? Well, 
Well, you know, for me, and, and again, like I go back all the way to the Dick Tomey era back in the early nineties. And you, you kind of, I feel like we're in the twilight zone. Every coaching staff we get, I mean, whether it was Stoops or whether it was Rich Rod or Makovic, I mean, it's almost like the cycle repeats itself. It's almost like the, uh, the place where careers go to die for head coaches. Um, and that's, you know, it's really disappointing. And, you know, I think what you guys saw with the fan base last night and the backlash is not, I think, I think it's a combination of the ASU game and how we finished up last year. And then leading into this season again, I, Brian, I think you hit on a great point, which I was trying to make earlier, which was, you know, don't inflate uh, the, the sense of what this season is going to be for the fans. If you don't want that backlash to come back and bite you. And I think that's exactly where things are at. And I think the worst thing you can have is an apathetic fan base. And I, and I truly believe that this fan base has been apathetic now for four years, basically since what, 20, 2015, 2016, whenever we went to, uh, the Fiesta bowl. And again, I, I look at Kevin Sumlin. I still have faith in him because he's won everywhere. He went, he won at Houston. He one at Texas A&M and he was fairly consistent in what I would view as tougher jobs and tougher conferences. And here we are at a crossroads. And I think Michael Lev said this in a tweet this morning, we're at a crossroads one game into the second season for Kevin Sumlin. And we don't know what the, what this program is going to look like under this regime. So now we're sitting here with a lack of, of, um, you know, donor support potentially, um, you know, moving forward and, and, you know, all these facilities to build all this stuff that we feel like we've, we finally got right. And we're still sitting with the same end product. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. And, and like, we've gone about 30, 30 minutes on this. So I I do want to wrap up because, um, and I want to wrap up with how does this program shift moving forward? This is the first game. And I think that when we take a look at our projections for Arizona on the season win total, Rob, you and I had um, picked Arizona, I think, over six and a half, not by a ton, but over six and a half for a couple of reasons. The first is we did we did think that uh, that Khalil Tate was going to run the ball and he will. We do think that we have a good running back core. And I think we do. Um, we think there, there was some promise with the wide receivers, but the the question marks that that really are changing right now after this game is that the offensive line doesn't look like it's up to snuff. Um, and the defense that returned a lot of starters and should have been different, um, is not there. And if you can make a change in terms of scheme, then maybe you get the program to a, a position still where they can win six, seven games this year. I mean, like now it's going to be hard, particularly with uh, the defense not being where they are. But what does Arizona have to do to win seven games this year? Which is crazy, by the way, with Khalil. I mean, I know Tate isn't um, that Tate isn't a traditional quarterback. He's never going to be a traditional quarterback, but he is a really interesting talent. Um, And like saying seven wins with that and the and the running backs and all those returning starters is that is kind of depressing. <laughs> but what do we have to do to get there? I mean, I think like the, the the schedule gets harder this season than it was last season in the Pac-12. You you do have Stanford and Washington, you know, rolling back on. I mean, I but I, I still think this is, some of this is fixable. I mean, last season they get, they lost to BYU and then got boat raced in Houston and still almost made a bowl game. Um, and you know they ended up having to cobble together what you know that offense was going to look like with Tate not able to run the football. Um, 
I think that there's there's some growth, obviously, for this team. I mean, everybody makes a big jump between week one and week two. Arizona's lucky we've got a bye week <laughs> to make, hopefully, really nail things down. Um, and then we've got the FCS. But I think given the, the conference schedule, you know, with Washington on there, you know, this season, uh, I think Arizona probably does need to win that game with Texas Tech to, to really make it to a bowl game this season. I, I think that there are some other tough games on the, on the schedule. Um, but I think for the fan base and, and to make this season feel better, I mean, Texas tech hired Utah state coaching staff, like Utah state had a better offense than Arizona or Hawaii grading out at number 39 last season. And there's some talent there that that Texas tech team had, um, had had injuries at quarterback that really sunk Kingsbury in his last season there. Um, now their defense wasn't great, but if, if Arizona, you know, if, if in that game and it's in Tucson, if every time Texas tech touches the ball, you, you really don't feel like Arizona is able to do anything or affect things and that it's, they're going to score. I mean, I don't know. It's, I, I think folks are going to, I think folks are going to give up hope. And also like, you just kind of feel like that, you're not being listened to and that no one takes you seriously or takes, takes what you care about seriously. And I think that's something that they need to think about too. Um, because even if it, even if you do lose the Texas tech game, if you, if you lose it badly and you don't make a move, like you could lose the fans. Well, you're not being listened to that. And the fact that this football team doesn't feel like it's a part of the community. And now granted, I don't yeah. live in Tucson anymore, but um, from all like reports that I'm reading, all the stuff that I read, it just seems like this program is closed off. And, um, and, and I would say probably the same thing for the basketball program, but like compare what Arizona football oh, times 10. Yeah. <laughs> um, but compare this football program and the, and their outreach and their media availability to, and I understand that it's baseball, but the baseball team, like the baseball team, the players actually like del- hand delivered, um, their season tickets to members in the community, like right next to the, the baseball stadium. That's really cool. Maybe football's done that and I, and I've missed something. Um, but it really, it, it really feels like that, that hasn't been the case. And, it, and that's not the vibe I get from the football program. So like it's, is Aaron, this is what you say, Rick, and we'll close. Well, you can have the last word on this, this stuff, but Arizona football has not been traditionally a great program over, over the years. And I think fans expectations aren't super high. So if you're, if you're inheriting a program where the talent level isn't as high as it should be, then like go out into the community and at least, at least give people a reason to root for a team. That's probably going to be an underdog in some games, you know, like I just don't get that vibe at all. It just seems like we're running our program here and you guys can show up if you want. Oh, and by the way, we're not good. And like that, that isn't super compelling um, of an argument to get people to go to these games when attendance has been dropping anyway, Rick. Well, and, and to me, you know, it kind of stems from like the marketing that comes out of the AD. It just doesn't feel authentic. Um, I mean, you know, they, they preach that they want the fans to be involved and the fans to show up. And, you know, you also, you you have to not only be out there in the community and, and allow some access, but you know what, you have to put a product on the field that fans can go to the stadium every, you know, every, almost every week and, and sit there and go, this is a product that even if we lose is fun to watch. 
much. And I think that's what Khalil was when he came onto the scene. And now it's kind of, you know, same old, same old. And we've seen this story before. And, and again, I think that's why, you know, even obviously Marcel Yates, it looks like is going to stick around through NAU. They'll beat NAU. And then they get into that game against Texas tech. I mean, if, if you're looking at basically a, a firing line at potentially, I mean, it's going to be that Texas tech game and, you know, a chance for, I think Dave Hickey uh, as the AD to take a step and say, you know, we either have to fix this and make this right, or it's going to fix itself on its own. And from everything that we've seen, I don't think defensively um, anything's going to get any better. So it'll be fascinating to see, but again, you have to have that authenticity and you have to have a product that people want to show up for. And at this point, Arizona football, um, you know, doesn't offer either. Well, there's still, well, doesn't, mm-hmm. oh, go ahead. Okay. It does. It doesn't feel like, the athletic department is really invested is invested in some ways in Kevin someone's success. Um, and I say that specifically about the, the salaries that he's able to offer coordinators. I mean, Yates is cheap. Um, and we didn't have to buy him out when we bought out the last staff cause he had to buy out then. Um, you know, I just, I don't, I I mean, Mazzoni, we got on a deal. In some ways, we got someone on a deal because he's still getting paid off by A&M. But, um, you know, like I, 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 Arizona fans aren't dumb. Like, I, you know, like they, they see this and they see the, you know, the athletic department not responding, you know, not making a change. They see someone not making a change. And they, they feel like, well, you guys don't really care, you know. And that's, that, that is a fair, that is a totally fair assessment, um, I think, because if, if, if he, you know, if you really want people to show up to the stadium, and this is true of someone too, like you have to take it seriously because there's there is no excuse for where you know Yates is in year four. There's just none. Like this is his defense. He recruited all these guys. These are all his guys. Whew. Well, a few more games left, right? Hopefully Arizona turns it around. We'll be recording weekly. And by the way, this was like the first game. So there are a ton of games in the Pac-12 um, that we just covered on 12-Pack Radio with Max Meyer. It was a really good episode. Max is amazing. So if you're a, Pac- a Pac-12 fan, if you want to uh, learn about what else is going on in the conference, if you're looking forward to week one, real week one of college football, we broke down every single game. And I think we did it in a way that was quite entertaining and uplifting, especially after this part of the, the podcast. So stick around for that. We tack that on to the, the last the end of this podcast, and we will catch you all next week. Hey, um, can I get some Pac-12 gambling advice up in here? Is William Shatner? You want it? Pac-12 gambling lines? You got it. Nice. You want it? Baby, just bust a move. Okay. Oh, it feels so good. It feels so good. Week one. Lots of games to cover, and right out of the shoot, we have Oregon playing Auburn. Oregon is a three-point dog right now. Um, they're going to Texas. They're playing at Jerry World. So if that offensive line, Rob, of Oregon makes any missteps, uh, it will be on the largest screen in the history of the universe. <laughs> what, do you think of, what do you think about this game? I, I think people are really, in a lot of ways, underrating Auburn, although I was happy to see that uh, the, the coaches had them and, and the uh, AP voters actually had them in the, the top 25, given uh, that Auburn lost a couple games last season. I think they went seven and six. But um, this Auburn team was unlucky against a tough schedule. They were a pretty talented team last season. Um, Beta ranks got him as a five point favorite in this game. Um, yeah, it's, 
it's it's this is going to be a tough tough matchup for Oregon. I there there are things to really like. I think uh, if you're Oregon, um, but there the you you hit on it right. Like I think Oregon fans and I think a lot of people are relying on that you know total number of uh, returning starts on that offensive line. But Auburn's defensive line is legit. Um, so we will find out if uh, you know what Oregon's offensive line is made of. Let's take a look at um, where both teams grade out, Rob, before we get into some some different breakdowns here. Obviously, Bo Nix, the true freshman, okay. starting a lot, lot of really interesting players at Auburn, some really interesting players on Oregon. But well, how does how does uh, let's start with the offense. What does Oregon's offense look like and what does Auburn's offense project to look like? So Oregon's offense projects at number 19. They were nowhere near this last season. So they were number 64 last season. They were not a very efficient or very good offense. So a lot of this projection is built on their returning uh, production number um, and their overall recruiting number, which their recruiting is really picked up uh, first under Willie Taggart and then under Cristobal. So this is this is a bit of a, a number where and this is also true of the Oregon defense. Like you really you really kind of want to see it on the field first. Um before you sort of fully buy, you know, buy in as, as we talked about coming into this, you know, Dylan Mitchell's gone. You're, they're really putting a lot on the Penn state transfer, Juwan Johnson. So we'll sort of see there. Auburn comes in on defense projected at number seven. Um, they finished at number 16 last season. They have a decent amount of returning production coming back. Auburn recruits really well. They, they come in 10 at you know, number 10 in the two year rolling recruiting, um, number that I put together and use for the projection model. So this is going to be a stiff test for Oregon. Um, I, I think they'll still be able to put up some points, but, um, you know, like I said, like if that Auburn defensive line sort of takes over, it could be a long game. Yeah. Derek Brown returns max, uh, just a monster on that defensive line. Could have gone in the NFL, 48 tackles, seven and a half tackles for a loss, uh, but it's not him. He's just got like three or four, just massive, massive giant guys. And basically the same guys that had given Washington's offensive line some fits. Uh, what are some other things that you're taking a look at in regards to Auburn matching up with Oregon? Cause I just think this, both these teams on paper should be better than they were last year. <laughs> right. And, uh, didn't quite put it together, but now they, they come together and it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, which units end up rising to the top. So, um, like, like Rob was saying before, I really think this game comes down to the trenches and I took a look at Oregon's offensive line last year because I, um, I think Auburn's defensive line is easily a top three unit in the country. So I looked when Oregon played, um, what I considered to be really strong defensive lines last year. And the two that stood out to me were Utah and Michigan state. And in both games, Oregon's offense really struggled. So uh, the offensive line against Utah, they gave up four sacks, 12 tackles for a loss, and Oregon was only able to rush for 3.7 yards per carry. And that game was a loss. They lost 32-25 that game. And then Michigan State in their bowl game, which they won 7-6, to they allowed three sacks. They gave up six tackles for a loss and were only able to run for 1.4 yards per carry. So I get that Oregon is returning a lot of starts along the offensive line. But considering that this is a group that played against elite defensive lines in Utah, Michigan State last year didn't fare so hot. I'm definitely nervous how they um, will go up against an Auburn defensive line that's not only one of the best in the SEC, but one of the best in the country. Auburn's offensive line, I think that that's definitely an underrated um, story, at, at least maybe nationally, maybe not locally. So they had to replace four offensive linemen last year, and that group really struggled to start the season. But um, when they had time to gel, they really um, did much better at the end of the season. 
And those were including games um, that were at Georgia and at Alabama. But uh, last year was the first time in a while that Auburn didn't have an a thousand yard rusher, but their run game really started to be better uh, at the end of last season. And they return all five guys um, on that offensive line. So I think Auburn has the trench advantage. And I think that that's going to go a long way uh, because I, I have the Tigers winning this game and covering the spread. Yeah, and when you take a look at Auburn's offense, so they have true freshman Bo Nix, who's starting at quarterback. And I think, Rob, wasn't he the top dual-threat quarterback in the country coming out of high school? He was. He is. He, uh, he barely beat out Daniels at Arizona State. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's a really dangerous. And, and you know, a lot, of, a lot of quarterbacks are coming in far more developed than we're used to seeing them. Um, he's, he is a sort of prototypical Gus miles on, you know, uh, you know, spread out a spread option quarterback. So it could be dangerous. Um, and they don't have, Oregon doesn't have Jim Levitt, um, you know, sort of the, uh, a guy that you sort of trust to be the mastermind behind the defense. Yeah. And then you add Jatavius Whitlow is an interesting guy. Like Max, you had mentioned that it was the first time in like 7 million years that Auburn didn't have a thousand yard rusher. Uh, but Whitlow was interesting because he was a quarterback in high school, was a wide receiving, um, basically prospect coming out of uh, high school. He got picked up by Oregon. They move him to running back. And like you mentioned, it was, it was really the back half of that year that people were really excited about him. So he's a really intriguing athlete behind there. So between Knicks and Whitlow and some of the wide receivers that they have, it'll be really interesting to see if Oregon, uh, that defense, like you mentioned, under a new coordinator can put it together and actually get us, get some stops. Um, I'm taking Auburn as well, Max. I just, um, I, I really hope Oregon wins. I, I want Oregon to be a premier team in the Pac-12. I just don't know if they're there yet. And like you mentioned, Rob, I need to see it on the field. Uh, but what do you think, Rob? Who are you taking in this game? Uh, I'm going with I'm going with Auburn. I, I, Oregon still has to prove it to me. Um, I, I really I'm a little skeptical still of their defensive coordinator hire. I don't think Arroyo is necessarily called a, call, a competent offense last season. So they need to show that they can uh, they can hang with a team like Auburn. Any last words on Auburn, Max? Like like Rob was saying, was like I just don't really trust Oregon's coaching staff in this game either. And like new defensive coordinator and Andy Avalos. Arroyo was under fire uh, for his play calls last season, and Crystal Ball had a few um, late game gaps, most notably the Stanford game. And I know Gus Malzahn, it feels like every other year he's on the hot seat, but I, I, I just trust him and Auburn staff more than I do Oregon's, especially in a big game like this. Okay. Well, we'll keep an eye on that, man. It'd be such a big deal for the Pac-12, particularly after week zero. Fortunately, you know, the week zero game was on like CBS Sports Network in Mexico or something, and not everybody watched it at 1030 on the East Coast. Uh, but this will be prime time. I think a lot of people will have their eyes on the game. And what a big boost for the conference if Oregon's able to take care of business. Um, let's move to a game that's kind of sneaky interesting and that's thursday august 29th 4 p.m on espn by the way all times that we mentioned are pacific time we're, we're west coast baby we're doing all west coast stuff um ucla a three and a half point dog at cincinnati rob another group of five team that can give the pac-12 some fits yeah the the uh cincinnati's a really good team actually under luke fickle they projected number 33 um one of the very best group of five teams coming into with beta rank this season um beta ranks got them as a as a as another like five point favorite coming in the game with roughly around a 66 percent win probability they're a bit of a defense first team um fickle really did a, a good job even when he was with the buckeyes on the defensive side of the ball so this is gonna be a tough matchup it was a tough matchup for him last season out in la um i'm actually going to be at this game i, I live in columbus i'm driving down i have tickets so 
um, I will I will give you guys an update next week from uh, notes I took in person. <laughs> One of the things that's interesting with Cincinnati was um, they return their top two star corners, they return their safeties, but they do lose some of their linebacking core and they lose most of their defensive line. And that was kind of a really strong, interesting strength for Cincinnati going into um, just a, a, a season where they, I think, exceeded expectations based on everybody's <laughs> expectations. And I think they won 10 games last year. Um their offense, though, returns a number of people. They return the quarterback, the running back, all wide receivers except their top talent and three offensive linemen. Max, when you're looking at Cincinnati, is this a team that you're worried about uh, knocking off UCLA? Because, man, Chip Kelly needs some momentum coming out of the gate as well. Well, I think it's interesting that the line for this opened at Cincinnati four and a half and it's down to three. But I just I think that's more of like a Chip Kelly reputation based move. I, I'm not really sure what I see here uh, for UCLA. I, I think that's a big. The UCLA's biggest issue last year was was their defensive line. They they couldn't generate pressure uh, in terms of uh, run defense. Their their stuff rate was also abysmal. And since he they, they I mean with Michael Warren they they have a really strong rushing attack and they have a dual threat quarterback in Desmond Ritter um, who I I think can really open things up. And I'm just really nervous that you say won't be able to create any havoc plays on defense. And this is a Cincy offense that I think can really bust out some big plays with their run game. Um, and then if Ritter can take the next step um, after winning the A's, uh, the American newcomer um, of the year award, I think that definitely go a long way for Cincy's offense. And then I, I, I definitely trust Fickle as a defensive mind. And I know that they lost a lot of pieces uh, in the front seven, but I don't know this game. I, I think it's going to be a really tough game for UCLA. I really do. Yeah, two things to keep in mind. Uh, Keyshawn Lucier South is not playing in this game. And Bo Calvert, who was in line to at least push for a starting spot as a linebacker, who was one of the top recruits in the country that um, Chip Kelly had managed to bring into Westwood, probably one of the highest recruits that he had brought in, uh, not not academically eligible. So he is gone as well. So two major pieces, eh, one major piece and one intriguing piece not on the field for this game. Three and a half, Rob. Um, any, anything else, Spader Inc. That's interesting as we're taking a look at, at who we're taking. Uh, I mean, not. I mean, it's 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 interesting that I mean, you Spader Inc. Essentially has a little bit more of a home field advantage than Vegas does, but not much. I mean, they're both roughly right around three. Um, I think Beta ranks a little high on on UCLA. Some of it's on you know the built-in recruiting that went so well under Mora. Um, but I, I, I really have questions about this defense. Uh, you know, Max hit on it with the defensive line. I don't think that they're terribly well coordinated. Azanaro is, I think, still in a little over his head uh, in, in calling this defense. So I, I really like Cincinnati in this game. Okay. And Max, are you taking Cincinnati as well? Yep. So oh. far, 0 for 2 on the Pac-12 this podcast. Oh, my gosh, man. I, I hope I hope we're all wrong. That'd be great if we were all wrong. Um, <laughs> let's move on to uh, – let's go to the interesting games here. So um, let's talk about Utah at BYU. So 7-15 on ESPN. BYU is a 4.5 – I'm sorry – Utah is a four and a half favorite, four and a half point favorite going into BYU. This game, Rob, always gives me the heebie-jeebies, man. Like I always think Utah is going to take care of business. Well, it's tough because BYU has been sort of falling off in recruiting, even though some of their on-field performance has gotten a little better. So projections kind of 
leave them about in the same spot every year or somewhere in the 70s. And they've outperformed that the last couple of years. So oh, wait, and, and I think, wait, really, before before you go into that again, one big giant disclaimer, right? These are all preseason projections. Week six, that's the money week where basically all of the yeah. preseason data is thrown out. So this is a starting point to think about <laughs> these teams as we go forward. Do not gamble. Do not gamble on just based on these preseason projections. Yeah, don't yeah, do not gamble on the preseason projections. The the in-season model is the one that uh I'll sort of hang my hat on. But um it's got I mean Utah comes in they they're projected at number 22 in the country. I really like the Andy Ludwig hire. We talked about that. Um but that said, like BYU does have a good defense. Sataki's got a you know, has a bright defensive mind. He's got a good staff under him on the defensive side. They don't have Ty Detmer calling plays anymore, so the offense has a little something more going for it. But Utah, you know, in in the projection model as a you know a thirteen point favorite, I think that's high. However, I think that the line feels low. Even you know if you're going to split the difference, I think I would I would still think that Utah is probably at least a touchdown or more better than BYU. Mm, rivalry games though, Rob. I don't know. What do you think, Max? I don't because I think this game screams trap. Because everyone is proclaiming their love for Utah this year, and it opened at six and a half, and it's down to five. And I, I think it's going to be a very low-scoring game. So five is, or six and a half, or five, however, whatever the line is. I think that is a lot of points in that type of game. Like I, I feel like it's going to be similar to the Miami Florida game last night in terms of it's going to be definitely a high intensity, very physical defenses first maybe a, a busted coverage even though i doubt it but the miami and florida defense are both are both strong i don't know like i could definitely see like a 24 20 type of game um i just byu's offense really took off when um zach wilson was the quarterback they started off with uh, tanner mangum last year and they really improved with um wilson on, under center and so i think he definitely elevates the uh, offensive ceiling and then the defense they do a really, really good job at limiting explosive plays, but that's not Utah's game. It's just really going for like a high success rate, whether it's Zach Moss runs or Tyler Huntley, like RPO. This isn't really like a, a big play type of offense, but I just, I, I love Utah's defensive line. Um, I, I think that that's probably uh, the key factor of the game as well as how uh, Huntley and, and Moss return from injuries, but I, I they, they both healthy uh, in camp. I think Utah wins. I don't think they cover the spread. I think this is a three, four point game for me. Oh, I'm agreeing with Max. This makes me feel really good, Rob. I, I'm going to take Utah. Or I'm sorry. I'm going to take BYU. Um, we have the line right now at four and a half. And if it pops up more than that, then, hey, all the better. Uh, I'm going to take BYU. Who are you taking, Rob? I'm taking the Utes. Okay. Give me Andy Ludwig in this game. I I I think this Utah. I think they they splashed some money to get Andy Ludwig. I think you know uh, Fotu and uh, Bradley and I have themselves a game. Okay, that, and I hope they do. And again, I have Utah winning the game. I just think at BYU they, there's some defense there. I think there's going to be some some crowd noise is going to be bothersome. First game under a new offensive coordinator. I think Utah has to get a few kinks out in the first half before they get into that second half. So. Um, we'll keep an eye on that over-under, by the way, <laughs> first half uh, line there. Um, let's move on to, oh, yeah, this is interesting. Friday, August 30th, 7 p.m. on ESPN. Colorado State is a 12-and-a-half-point dog 
um, against Colorado. This is on a neutral field. And talk about enigmas in the Pac-12 this year, Rob. We have Colorado, a team with a new coaching staff, a, an interesting quarterback, a, a brilliant wide receiver, and just a bunch of question marks on defense outside of a couple of their linebackers. What do you think? Yeah, so the projection model has Colorado coming in at 57. It really is down on Colorado State having them at 110. Um it's got, I mean, Beta Rink's got this as basically a push versus Vegas. It's, uh, it's got it at a 12.96 uh, spread for Colorado, um, 84% win probability. It's, I'd be, even if, and as Max alluded to, like, I, and I, I wasn't very big on the Jay Johnson hire, um, but we'll, we'll either. So we'll see. I mean, if they really are committed to running the football, that's a, that's a, crazy thing to do with uh montez and chenault <laughs> sitting there you know max when we take a look at colorado and colorado state one of the things that screams off of the uh the paper is how much colorado state um is likely not going to be great <laughs> this year they have an inexperienced uh offensive line you know their quarterback colin hill returns he wasn't that great uh they lost their top running back they lost their top two wide receivers um just a team that, you know, like has had some success though in the past, but it just seems like Colorado's had their number over the, uh, the course of that rivalry as it's happened the last couple of years. Yeah. And no, I, I agree. But I personally, I'm going to stay like, I probably will not be betting on this game. It's just, it's too much uncertainty to me with, with the two new staffs. And I'd rather look and see um, before making any judgments with either, except I really don't, I really don't expect either team to fare that well this season. Um, I'm definitely going to be uh, interested to see uh, who emerges out of the Colorado backfield. Uh, interestingly enough, just to quickly go back to the fantasy, um, when I made my big board, uh, someone uh, tweeted at me uh, that I didn't have uh, Jaron Mangum on, on the board. And he's a freshman running back who's really emerged um, for Colorado at camp. And I reread everything and, and he was right. And so he's definitely one player that I'm keeping my eye on, especially if Colorado goes with a run heavy approach on offense, but the Buffaloes, they, they have some strong pieces and not just on offense with Montez and Chenault, but even on defense with like Mustafa Johnson. So they have talent. And I really, I really, if, if I have to lean one way, I'll go with Colorado but this is just this is a stay away game for me personally. They have this really fast kid out of Mississippi, um, and his name escapes me right now. But you're right; there's like two or three dudes on that defense that you're like, oh, I would really like that player on my team. So uh, you know, I'm not saying that there are that the the defense is going to be a disaster, but just there are a lot of question marks all throughout and like basically each position group. So um, I'm going to take Colorado. I just think Colorado state is not good. And I, I trust, I'm going to trust this coaching staff. I'm going off on a limb right now and just want trusting them to cover the spread. I think there's enough tools on offense. There's enough pieces on defense to, um, to comfortably win this game. And Rob, are you taking Colorado as well? Uh, yeah. I mean, if you look across the coaching staff, there's one person that you really trust and it's Mel Tucker. Right. So I think they have enough pieces on defense to really shut down the Rams. Okay. Um, next game we have, and there's a couple real good ones in here in this next grouping. Let's talk about them right after this. All right, the home stretch, the home stretch. We're getting to our last grouping of games and some really interesting ones. This one, not as interesting, not going to lie. Uh, 7 p.m. on Pac-12 Network. Kent State is a 24 and a half point dog at ASU. And uh, frankly, guys, I, I was just curious, Rob, with your numbers. I've been looking at all these teams. I got all these numbers and stats and stuff, and I got to Kent State, and I'm like, whatever. <laughs> I just kind of moved on. So I'm curious what Baterang thinks about Kent State, because they weren't good last year. I know that. 
No, so Beta Rank's got him at 118 coming into this season. Um, it's got Arizona State at 44. Uh, so it's it's it, it definitely likes the Sun Devils here. Uh, it doesn't like the Sun Devils quite as much as the spread, though. It's only got them as an 18-point uh, favorite, roughly. So, um, yeah, it's – and it – the, a lot of Arizona State's projection here is built on them being able to continue what they were doing offensively last season. Um, that's that's is a little bit of an open question to me. I think in this game in particular, where you've got Jaden Daniels breaking in, uh, you know, breaking in as a new quarterback, and you don't have Nikhil Harry to throw to. Max, Jaden Daniels, freshman quarterback, steps in for his first game. He does have uh, Brandon Ayuk. He does have Eno Benjamin. He has some tools to work with. Um, but they're 24 and a half. That, that's a lot of points, even though it's at home. I agree. I, I think 25 points is is too high for my liking to back a freshman quarterback. And also, I mean, Kent State's defense was miserable, but offensively, there's at least some kind of intrigue. I mean, Woody Barrett, their, their quarterback, he was a former Auburn commit, and, and he's a dual-threat guy. But I am Arizona State's defense actually really impressed me last year with the amount of young players that they have. And I think that that unit can definitely take a step up. Um, but I, 25 points, I, I think that that's just way too many points to lay for an Arizona State team that I think was lucky to finish with the record that they did last year. They had, a, um, with some of the close games that they won. And I just, I can't back a true freshman at that price, especially a Pac 12 team um, quarterbacked by a true freshman. I'm going to take them. I'm going to take those points. Or I'm sorry, I'm going to lay those points. I, I, I don't know. I, I like. I like ASU. I like the direction the ASU is going. I think there's been a couple of questionable coaching decisions over the course of last year, but I just think Eno Benjamin and that running attack is going to be able to rack up points and gas that uh, that Kent State defense by the end of the game. Uh, plus, you have Jaden Daniels, so everybody talks about his throwing, but he is a dual threat quarterback. I'd be interested to see how many carries he gets and whether or not he's going to keep that defense honest. So um, I'll, I'll lay the points. I'll take ASU. Uh, they're going to win anyway, so I guess it really doesn't matter. But uh, throw me down there. Anything on ASU Kent State? Anything else? Wow, that is bold given how. Herm likes to slow the game down. So if he really slows the game down, like you could be looking at, you know, fewer than 12 possessions per team. Kent State, I, like I Kent State's number nine problem. in returning production. Like I, I give you the golden flashes. And then I also, I still think the total of 62 is too high. Yeah. Oh, that's like, good. I, I, I would, I, I would, I would take the under there. No, I, I'm with Rob. I think that it's, it, like, I know I shouldn't be leaning that direction given what Kent State's, or Kent State's strengths are, but I think Herm is going to slow it down. I, I think he's going to try and ease in um, his true freshman quarterback's first career start. And I don't really think you'll see a lot of shots taken by Daniels, and especially when you have a, a workhorse like, you know, Benjamin. And I just think it's going to be run, run, run. And yeah, I, I, I don't see Arizona state really blowing them out that much or a lot of points being scored. Like, I don't know. Like I, I see like a, maybe a 35, 18 type of game, something like that. Okay. Okay. I'm going to stick with my guns. I, I, hopefully it's a 35, like 10 game. <laughs> that would be, that'd be a little bit better. Um, but no, that's a good point, particularly with, with her slowing the game down. So, uh, duly noted. So if I lose this one, you guys, you guys can hang that, uh, over me as we go into the next week. Um, another really interesting game here. Oklahoma State, a 15 point favorite going 
into Corvallis to play the Beavs. Really fun offense on Oregon State side and a really fun offense uh, in regards to Oklahoma State. I think there's going to be roughly a gazillion points scored in this game, and it'll be quite fun to watch. Uh, but I'm curious what your numbers say, Rob. Yeah, so the Oregon or, uh, Oklahoma State was an underrated team last season as far as, you know, wins and voters going, you know, where like the they, they finished the season pretty well in beta rank. Um, they had the number 10 offense in the country last season, 69 on defense. So that's not great, but they were good on special teams at number six um, They're They don't return a ton on offense. They're number 91 on uh, returning production there. But I really like the offensive coordinator hire that they just made. Mike Gundy makes terrific hires. Um, so the the projection model, the, the standard model, has them at 31. I have a new model I'm working on that tries to take into coaching and development effects. That model has Oklahoma State at number 18 coming into the season. Um, this is this is a really good Oklahoma State team, I think, and uh, I, I I like them in this game. Uh, Oregon State does not. I think Oregon State. I've got them projected at like one fifteen or something like that. Hey, Rob, yeah, one fourteen. One fourteen. Yeah, the one thing that was interesting. I know Oklahoma, I know Oregon State's defense is atrocious. I understand that, um, but Oklahoma State's defense wasn't that good last year. What were their numbers yeah. last year? Do you remember? So they finished out at number sixty nine. Um, oh. They weren't. There, there weren't an overwhelming defense. Um, and you do like, I mean, I, I like the, the Oregon state offense to take another step forward this season beyond what the sort of model projects, but they're going to have, they're, they're likely get like, as, as often happened to them last year, they're going to have to go 75 yards every time <laughs> to get points. Max, I'm curious. What do you think? I, I, I kind of was leaning towards Oregon State, I know their defense is terrible, but I just love the fact that they can throw the ball around. I think it's going to be a shootout, and oftentimes, you know, in a shootout, take the points. But, um, but man, Oregon State's defense was so terrible last year. Weird things happen in Corvallis, especially on Friday nights. And I and Oregon State's defense was well, it, it was historically bad last year. But I think Jonathan Smith's year two, I don't think that it can be as bad as it was last year. And they do, and they return a lot, which I guess might not be saying much given how poor they were. But I just think having another year um, under that system will help um, Oklahoma. I mean, uh, you're right with the uh, offensive coordinator hire, uh, former OC of Princeton, and and uh, I actually watched some YouTube of Princeton offense, which I wasn't expecting to do this off season, but just some really innovative play calls. Um, but they don't know who their starting quarterback is going to be, even though they do have one of the best wide receivers in the country and in, in town and Wallace, uh, and they, ha- and their running back, even though they lost justice Hill to the NFL, um, he really, uh, came onto the scene, uh, Chuba ha- Hubbard last year, um, when Hill was out for the season. So I definitely think Oklahoma state has the offense, but I don't I, I like Oregon State's offense. I think that um, that their rushing attack can gash Oklahoma State. And I just don't think that their defense will be as bad as last year. And I think that they're going to make they're going to try and make a statement with this opening game. And I don't think that they pull off the upset, but I will take them to cover the spread. I'm going to do that, too. You you uh, 
You said everything that in my heart swelled three times in regards to Oregon State. <laughs> I really want this Oregon State team to be good this year. I know they're not going to be great, but um, you're right. It, it's at home. I think there's going. I think it's going to be a shootout. And like same thing with Arizona, Utah. Like if it's a shootout, just take the points. So I'm going to take the points. 15's a lot, and that might bump up a little bit as we go towards the game. I do think that like it might be 16 or 16 and a half as we go forward. Once people realize, holy crap, Oregon State's defense was a mess last year. Um, Rob. Talk, you want to talk me out of this, or are you just going to let me hang my uh, – <laughs> you're going to sell me the rope? No, give me the Cowboys. I mean, yeah, they're replacing a lot on, on offense, but is the, I mean, do we have any doubt in our minds that Oklahoma State's offense is not going to be very, very good under Mike Gundy? Like, no. Like, they're going to be great. Um, and Oregon State's off defense, they return a ton, but they were – Oh, they were bad last season. And I don't I don't think they're they've got some JUCO help coming in, but I think it's signed to come in next year. Um, I'm just I'm not there. I'm, I, I, this Oregon State defense has to prove it to me before I buy in. So I'll, I'll take Oklahoma State in this game. Yeah. And Max, that defensive line for Oregon State was and is a mess like it, it will if it improves it's not going to improve by a ton I think they just didn't get the talent there to get in. They got these really, really giant overweight guys that now well not overweight, but like there were some conditioning problems for last year and this year in camp. So that, that is, that is worrisome, but hopefully, hopefully they could at least keep it close. Um, let's move to Saturday, August 31st noon at the PAC 12 network, Eastern Washington at Washington, no spread on this game. Let's not break this down a ton. Um, but, uh, you know, like anything that we should be looking for, anything you're going to keep your eye on max. Uh, well, I mean, Washington has to replace pretty much everyone from that loaded defense last year. And while Eastern Washington's uh, starter last uh, last season, Gage Gabrud, transferred to Washington State, I still think that this offense can not light up Washington, but I think that they could definitely, um, you know, let loose on a couple big plays here and there. So it, I think that this game actually, like, I don't think it'll be like a single possession game, but it wouldn't surprise me if Washington wins by like 10 to 14. I just, and especially I mean, Jacob Eason, he's barely had any game action the past two seasons. I think he's, he's thrown like seven passes over the, over the first years. And I really like Savon Ahmed and Washington's offensive line is really good, but I, I just have a lot of questions about the, um, about the defense and about Eason. So I wouldn't be surprised if this game is much closer than people think it will be. Okay. Do you share that sentiment, Rob? Yeah, I think that there's going to be some bumps here. I I think that they really struggled with Hamden last season, um, and we've talked about that. Um, I think they still have to clean up some of the offensive line play that they had last season. And and Eason, you know, he's, he might have some he might have some growing pains coming into this game. So yeah, and as as Max pointed out, they're they're one thirty in returning production on defense. So this this defense, I don't expect them to be. I expect them to be good. I don't expect them to be great next season or this season. Okay. Well, let's move on to a more interesting game. 1 p.m. on Fox Northwestern, a six and a half point favorite at Palo Alto, playing Stanford. Northwestern has Patty Fisher returning, the NFL type, you know, prototype linebacker. Hunter Johnson, a five star Clemson transfer, who I, as of this morning, has not been announced as the official starter for Northwestern. But I would be, I would be surprised if that wasn't the case. And uh, you know, Max, Rob, and I have talked about Stanford ad nauseum on this podcast. I'm curious what you think uh, in regards to what your expectations are for that Cardinal team this year. So Stanford's interesting because they do have um, elite 
talent at some key positions like quarterback. They have Costello left tackle. They have Walker little cornerback. They have Paulson Adebo. And even though David Shaw can be frustratingly conservative at times, he's still a good coach in my book, but there are just so many other question marks regarding the team. Um, the rest of the offensive line really struggled, um, especially in, in run blocking last season at running back and wide receiver. Uh, they lost um, a lot of production there. Um, and then linebacker, they lost two of their start. They lost both their starting linebackers last year. It's just that they have to replace a lot and they weren't, it, it, it just didn't feel like the Stanford of old last season, especially on offense and then defense. It just wasn't as physical. So I'm really interested to see this game, but I'm pretty down on Stanford as well. I think that I, I feel like that they win like six or seven games this year. Um, and then regarding the opener, it just seems like, Pat, Pat Fitzgerald like thrives as an underdog um, with Northwestern and I, and they lost Clayton Thorson, but I don't know. I think that this is another low scoring game where Stanford wins, but wins by like three or four points. Rob, I'm going to take Northwestern. I think that Northwestern is uh, definitely going to cover the spread. You know what I'm going to do? You know what I'm going to do? Sprinkle me, man. I'm going to sprinkle a little money on that money line. What do you think about that? I, I agree with you. I mean, Beta Rank's got this as a true toss-up between the teams. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, Northwestern actually is is almost every year a terrible, terrible offensive team. Um, but Fitzgerald can coach defense. I, I believe in this this you know Northwestern defense to show up. Stanford, I don't know what to think of them really. Like they see like their defenses it was okay. They were improved, but they were still only okay last season. Um, you know, I, I think Paulson Adebo is really the truth. Like, I think he's one of the best players in the Pac-12, but there's not a lot else other than KJ Costello to, to hang your hat on. And, and we talked about this with Hippoday. Like, if, if they get pressure on Costello, he gets happy feet and doesn't set his feet. He can make some bad throws. Mm, mm, we're all on Northwestern. That's exciting. That's yes. exciting. Okay. Okay. Um, anything else to mention in regards to Northwestern Stanford uh, Max? Um, well, I, I guess we did touch on Cam Scarlett and about like Osiris St. Brown and, and um, Mike Wilson, but I'm just really interested to see what Stanford player, skill position players emerge besides Kobe Parkinson. Yeah, yeah. That'll because be I think that's been a, a giant mystery to the fall camp. That one kid, uh, I think it's Weddington, Connor Weddington, was like, I think he's like 5'9", yeah. a really highly rated recruit coming out of high school. And, you know, it was interesting. I was listening to some stories and some podcasts about them possibly moving him over to running back at some point or like just they're just trying to fit him into the offense. So exactly to your point, you know, Max, what are they going to be able to do with him and and what skill players are going to step up? So good call there. Next next game, 7 p.m. on the Pac-12 Network, New Mexico State, a 31 and a half point favorite at Washington State. Look, this New Mexico team is not good, Rob, but I'm just curious that's a big, big freaking spread. Yeah. So, uh, Beta Rank has Washington State coming in with a bit of a post uh, Gardner Minshew bump at number 36. They're really projecting the offense to be reasonably good again, I think. Um, and then the defense last season, you disagree. You're still wrong. Like the defense was not great last season. They they mostly had a really, really good field position because their offense was so good. Um, but, I mean, even with New Mexico State being projected at 120 in this game, Baderank's got this only as like a 19 and a half point spread. So, I don't know. That seems like an awful lot of points. And I 
I, I just, I have seen this movie before. I am not saying, <laughs> I am not saying Washington State is going to lose this game because I think that is crazy. But I've also seen Mike Leach have some seriously slow starts in the season. Oh, absolutely. There's a total Mike Leach factor here. I'm definitely <laughs> taking those points. 31 and a half. What do you think, Max? No, I'm, I'm with you guys. And I just, I'm not as optimistic about the Washington State offense, even though I really like Max Borgie. But um, considering that they're replacing Gardner Minshew with Anthony Gordon, um, I mean, Gordon did beat out Gage Cabrud, who, who most people assume would be the starter. So I, I, he definitely has looked good at camp. But I'm, I, I just don't think that the Washington and I mean Washington State's offense it's not it's not explosive they just it's like death by a thousand paper cuts they just it's like a bunch yeah. of short passes so I, I don't see a lot of like quick like three play 80 yard drives and I think that's going to be kind of tough to cover as like a, a mid 30 point favorite um, you definitely if you're betting on uh, on a heavy favorite like that you'd, I think you'd rather be betting on an explosive offense one that can generate like two or three play drives and that's not Washington State um, and then just on on, on defense uh, I think losing Jalen Thompson uh, to the NFL uh, is a big blow because he he's one of the better safeties in the Pac-12 and I know Tracy Clays is a good defensive coordinator but I don't know. I, I, I think that's way too many points for Washington State to be favored by, so I'll take the dog here too. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm curious to see how that quarterback does. I just uh, – redshirt senior. And, again, props to Mike Leach, right? right? He had a real quarterback contest between uh, transfer, grad transfer, and his quarterbacks, and he went with hopefully the right decision. I hope Washington State uh, is kind of one of those backdoor teams that's able to uh, perform pretty well in a Pac-12 that – there should be a lot of parity this year. Um, 7.30 is the last game on Saturday on ESPN. Fresno State is a 13.5-point favorite at USC. And, Max, the floor is yours, sir. You you are the expert on USC. I'm curious what you think. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it. Um, a lot of pressure that was started off after, uh, especially because I don't get to hear Rob's beta rank projection first. <laughs> but this is actually a game where I'm going to go with the favorite here just because Fresno state loses a lot, especially on offense. Um, and USC, it's just that the public sentiment's really down on this team, but they do return a, um, a decent amount back, especially on, uh, I mean, they have one of the best wide receiver groups in the country. Uh, I think JT Daniels, he definitely had a subpar freshman year, but I think with Graham Harrell as the new offensive coordinator, I think that he can make a jump, um, and then also I really like USC's defensive line and USC has struggled in the trenches, um, in years past, but they really have some pieces like Jay, uh, Tufele, uh, they have a freshman, um, Drake Jackson, who, uh, he's been getting comparisons to Leonard uh, Williams in his freshman year. And Leonard was an absolute monster for USC then. Um, and then also Christian Rector, he was their best, best pass rusher last season. So I, I really like USC's defensive line and, and I think that they can cause some havoc against a Fresno State offense that has a new quarterback uh, they have to replace their top three wide receivers which is good for a USC secondary which has to replace a decent amount I just don't really see I, I don't think that Fresno State's going to score a lot of points and they do have a really stingy sec- secondary but I just think that they're going to have trouble guarding the level of caliber of wideout that USC has with their trio of Amon Ross, St. Brown, Michael Pittman, and Tyler Vaughn. Hey, very well put, Max. Rob, 
USC certainly has some talent. That secondary will be really interesting. It's all five-star players, but they're all young. Like, no experience uh, back there, basically, to speak of. Um, but still, the athleticism's there. The talent's there. It'll be interesting to see if they can put it together. And like Max mentioned, Fresno State, not a lot returning. I think everybody is pointing to the Fresno State that went out and smacked. Was it ASU or Oregon in the math? I think it was ASU. Um, ASU. Yeah, a team that had a nasty, nasty defense. They do return a couple corners there, like Max mentioned, but 129th in returning production. What does Baderang say about this uh, this matchup? I mean, they're 127 on offense. They're 122 on returning production on defense. I mean, they are every, – everybody is gone. I mean, it, last season you would have – and Vegas would have taken Fresno State as a favorite against USC this season. With all of that missing, it's it's a little tougher. I I think Tedford has done a really terrific job, and um, I think the defense, which last season graded out at number fourteen in Beta Rank, and Beta Rank is not usually high as as high as some other models on Group of Five uh, units. Um, you know, so that's a legit number. But their 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 offense only graded out at sixty one. Um, I, I, I mean, USC's offense was just a mess last season, but I, I think, you know, the air raid's going to simplify things for, for Daniels. Um, and yeah, they, you know, even with Brew McCoy being sick, USC is going to go deep enough on wide receiver. I think they're going to be tough to handle. Plus they actually have tight ends that they can use. And if, if Harold's smart, he'll, he'll run, he'll mix in some running the power in the way that Oklahoma does with the air raid concept. So I, I I like. I mean, it's tough because in in beta rank right now, what has it got it at? It has it at USC is a seventeen, almost eighteen point favorite. Oh, uh, in the model, but I, I I do worry a little bit because beta rank the projection model loves USC's recruiting. It's got their recruiting at number five, um, and so USC gets a ton of credit for recruiting really well. Although we've seen over the last couple of seasons, they've mostly just squandered that talent. So um, I don't know. I'm I'm still I'm going to take USC in this game. I, I I buy in a little bit on that the offense is going to be better, and I think Fresno State's going to struggle breaking in so many new players. I'm going to take Fresno State. Jeff Tedford is my boy. I think that the secondary, Juju Hoos and Jerron Bryant, who are excellent, excellent secondary players for uh, for Fresno State, are going to throw a little bit of a wrench in that passing offense. I think 13 and a half points is a lot for this coaching staff to overcome um, just at the beginning of the year as they're trying to get their kinks out. So um, I get you. I actually agree with everything you guys are saying, but I just think that Tedford and that coaching staff has an upper hand in 13 and a half um, that doesn't worry me as much. I think USC wins this game. I just think they, they run into some hiccups or maybe Fresno state covers back door. So I'll take Fresno. Um, anything else that we should cover before we sign off here this week? Well, just a, oh, a couple more notes, I guess on the USC game, not, not that I'm trying to sway you or anything, <laughs> but definitely, definitely USC's offensive line. That's going to be the big question coming in. Cause that's the unit that can really make the offense either soar or crumble. And it, and that was definitely the reason behind the offense, or a big reason behind the offense crumbling last year, especially when they have when they had a center uh, who couldn't snap the ball, and and there were so many snaps that flew over Daniel's head, it was kind of crazy. But Fresno's defensive line, they do return um, some players there, but they they weren't really disruptive. Um, they were they ranked 105th in sack rate last season, and they ranked 112th in stuff rate. And if you're not forcing negative plays against USC, I think that that could, I think that that could give Fresno state a lot of trouble. And then also 
I actually prefer the first half spread in this game compared to the full game, just because USC, they got off to some really uh, strong starts in games last year. Like they, they led by double digits in a majority of their games, but then by like halftime and Clay Helton was out coached with second half adjustments. That's kind of where USC uh, began to crumble. So I think USC minus seven first half would probably be my best bet for this one, especially because I Jeff Tedford is such a, a great coach and he definitely has the advantage over Helton. But I just, I, I, I just don't see how Fresno competes in this game, but USC is un, underachieved a lot over the past few seasons. So you never know, but I'll, I'll go with the Trojans here anyway. Yeah, we'll see. Good. And it's been really good to have you on this podcast. Like, I think you add a ton of knowledge and depth, and I'm really excited to record with you as we go through this entire season, just breaking down these games. Um, oh, the one thing we should mention, if you have not signed up for our uh, Pac-12 Survivor Pool, uh, go to our website, sharpcollegefootball.com, click on the icon, and, and play. Basically, all you do is you pick one team, one Pac-12 team to win each week. And if they win, don't worry about the spread. They just have to win. If they win, you move on. If they lose, you're eliminated. And you can only pick each team once in the year. So you have to be pretty strategic about how you how you uh, pick. Uh, we will announce who loses every week on this podcast. <laughs> so submit your picks. If you want me, if you don't want me to read your name, give me an avatar. I'll make sure to put it on. We've already had like 25 to 30 people sign up already. So very, very excited for that. Um, and I'm getting everybody's picks in. And I, uh, you have till Thursday. So again, week zero did not count. Fortunately for Arizona fans, you probably all would have picked Arizona to beat Hawaii. So I think you get a break there. Uh, but starting week one, uh, it's it's one of the more popular things we do, and we're excited to do that. Uh, Max will be participating. Uh, Max is participating in a lot of our contests that we're doing. We're going to keep track of our picks as we move along in the season. But really good to have you, Max. Thanks for joining. No, great first episode, and let's go up from here. Yeah, check out all of Max's stuff. It's really good. If you liked what he talked about on this podcast, uh, the written material and the material he chooses, chooses to publish on the site – just excellent. He, he, Max, you were the one that introduced me to Three Man Weave, which is an excellent college basketball podcast. Just He has a really good eye for quality content and good advice when it comes to gambling. So uh, definitely check out uh, everything there. And is there a specific website people should go to, Max? Yeah. I mean, well, um, well, so every week I'll be doing best bets for college football. And uh, went 1-0 and last week. I took the Miami-Florida uh, first half under which cashed. And then this week, uh, more games, so more picks. And then you can find those at si.com slash gambling. I love that under pick by the way, but it was juiced to like one ninety by the time I noticed it. So but I know, I know. <laughs> it was, it was crazy because when I wrote about it, um, it was, it was minus one ten. but then the under, uh, there were some books that had it. Uh, so I wrote it at 23 and a half under minus one ten, And then there were some books that had it all the way down to 21 and a half. And then others, there was one sports book, DraftKings, that had 23 and a half and the under at minus 190, which you can't, you can't lay minus 190 on a first half total to start the season. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> um, another website to check out, sharpcollegefootball.com, is where all of Rob's beta rank numbers are on there. And that website is going to continue getting better, particularly as the season goes along and we're putting real football data into the, to the model. So it's not just projected, uh, you know, everything. It's actual the stuff that we're seeing on the field. So uh, check both of those websites out. Guys, thank you for coming along, and uh, we will catch you next week.